When I was in high school, uh, we, our football team, uh, and I've talked about this before, but I love this saying that they had. But they had these shirts that they wore during the offseason. They didn't wear them necessarily during the football season. Um, they would wear their jerseys, obviously, for the games. And they had practice jerseys and things. And some of the guys would wear these shirts underneath their pads. But they had this shirt, and it had the name of our school on the front of it. It said football. And on the back, it had this saying. The difference, and they're going to throw it up on the screen so you can read it, because some of you would like to read it more than say it. But the difference between ordinary and extraordinary, or if you're from where I'm from, it's extraordinary, is that little extra. All right, so that's a very, it's self-explanatory, because the only difference between this word ordinary and this word extraordinary or extraordinary is the extra that's added there, right? So we're going to school today. So that was their, that was their little moniker on the back of their t-shirt, and they would wear that in the off-season as they did their weightlifting and as they did their practicing and their sprints and all the things that they were doing for conditioning. And I loved it. I didn't play football. I played baseball like year round. And so I didn't play football, but I loved this saying. I loved this t-shirt. I wrote it down. I've talked about it a lot. I've talked about it from this stage. I, I just love all that there is in that statement, all that the meaning that's there, the, the, the things that it makes me think about. Obviously, the football coach that gave those guys the t-shirt, his idea behind this saying was that As they're wearing it, he doesn't want them to be an ordinary football team, right? He wants them, when they get to the fall and the the game starts, he wants them to be an extraordinary football team. He wants them, each of those individual players, not to be ordinary, you know, linebackers or ordinary quarterback or an ordinary safety. He wants them to be an extraordinary safety, an extraordinary linebacker. He, He wants them to do the extra now that take them from being ordinary to being extraordinary or extraordinary, Right? That's what he was looking for. That's why he gave him the shirt, so that he could just constantly talk about it. Are you doing the extra? I mean, if, if I told you to do 10 reps, are you doing 12? If I told you to run five sprints, are you maybe doing 10? Are you staying after? He wanted them to do the extra things. And I think in my own life, as I think back to the things that I've been successful in or the things that I've, I've really kind of found success in, the things that I feel like somewhat I'm either working towards being extraordinary in this area, it usually is the things that I am putting the extra work in, the extra effort, the extra time. Malcolm Gladwell has a book. He's one of my favorite authors. He has a book uh, that's called The Outliers, and he references in that book a theory that's not his specifically, but a theory that's known that talks about those who are really successful in certain endeavors or those who are really gifted. We look at them and go, wow, that person's just so gifted in that. They have this you know, extraordinary skill that nobody else can match. But what he contends and the theory talks about is that they've probably put in around 10,000 hours of preparation so that when you see them, you see somebody that's very successful. The magic number is about 10,000 hours. Anybody that does something for about 10,000 hours is an expert in that. And I know some people that are expert TV watchers, right? I are one of them. So 10,000 hours is kind of Malcolm Gladwell's you know, theory in this book of these people that we look at. And we, we see these professional golfers. And I'm, it's not all sports metaphors today. But we see these professional golfers. We see these authors who are writing. We see people that are actors and actresses. We see, and if we were to track their life, we were to track the things that they've spent their time doing in preparation, we would find that they've probably spent, you know, a a couple thousand hours in preparation for that, going to classes, reading scenes and lines with other people, being in drama clubs and practicing, being on the driving range for the golfers and uh, writing and going to classes and writing more and reading and all those things in preparation for that. And, And those little extra things, the extra things that we put extra effort into are usually the things that separate those who are just ordinary at something and those who are extraordinary at something. And I think as we look at our own lives, we find that to be true. And so for me, 
when I look at kind of my own life, when I look at Scripture and, and then filter my life through the context of Scripture, I find the same theory, the same idea, the same, you know, great football T-shirt uh, phrase to kind of come alive to me when I read Scripture. If you've got your Bible, I want you to flip with me to the book of Mark. It's the second book of the New Testament. The book of Mark chapter 12. I think... I think in life, as we, we're going to read this in just a minute, but in life, as we kind of look at how we live, I think the phrase that would kind of come back to me, the question that would come back to me is, am I really committed to doing what it takes to get the job done? Am I really kind of, am I committed to doing whatever it takes, that whatever it takes kind of mentality? And so when I read through scripture, I want us to kind of look at this through our own life and in our own heart. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. This is what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. I want to read it one more time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Corey and I were in student ministry for about 10 years or so. We were youth pastors for about 10 years and loved being in student ministry, loved hanging out with students, uh, middle school, high school, college. I mean, we really did enjoy that time. And, and I would get pretty regularly students that would ask me questions like this. Jeremy, what is... What is it that God wants from me? What is it that God is really looking for me to do with my life? They would ask me questions about, you know, the characteristics or the nature of God. And they would talk about what is it that, you know, God's will for my life? What does that look like? And just questions like that. And I don't think those are questions that only come from students. I think they also come from adults. I think they also come from people of all ages. No matter our stage of life, no matter how long we've walked in a relationship with the Lord, or if this is still really new to us, we're kind of looking for what's our purpose, what's our identity, or even if I've experienced some level of success in my relationship with God, what's next? Where do I go from here? Or am I just on the same track and I'm stuck doing the same thing over and over and over? But I think what we find here in this passage is that Mark chapter 12 is is the story of a, a religious leader, a, a guy who is, he understands the law, he understands the scripture, at least in the context that they have it in that day, and he's really asking Jesus a question that many of us have, have wanted to know. Like, what's the most important thing in a relationship with God? If you could boil it all down, I mean, there's hundreds of laws in the Old Testament. There's a lot of things that you and I need to do, are supposed to do, want to do in a relationship with God. We want to come to church or we, somebody makes us come to church. I don't know what your, what your context is. We, you know, we think we're supposed to read our Bible. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to give in the offering when it comes. We're supposed to serve others. We're supposed to be in a life group. We're supposed to give of ourselves and our time and our energy and all these things. But ultimately, what is the most important thing? If I was to boil it all down, what is the most important thing? And that's what the guy asked Jesus. And we just read in Mark 12, 30, what Jesus, how Jesus answers that question. I want to read it one more time. So the guy's asking Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing? If I could boil everything down at the bottom line, what is it? And this is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Notice that Jesus gives no wiggle room. He uses the word all. Everybody say all. all. Say it one more time. That was good. All. That's good stuff. You guys are awake today. All. He, he gives us no wiggle room at all. He doesn't allow for anything less than 100%. And here is the main idea for the whole day. So I'm going to give it to you now. And some of you will tune me out. Here's the main idea for the whole day. All things includes small things. All things includes small things. Because I want you to think about what Jesus just said. Love the Lord your God with 
all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. And if you were to ask yourself right now, and I'm not asking you to answer this out loud, I'm not asking you to raise your hand and give me your feedback about your personal life, but how are you measuring up in the all part of that command? If the most important thing that Jesus said you could do, that you could focus on to continue to be in right relationship with him, if that's what he said, if he says, listen, if you're to boil it all down, take all the laws of the Old Testament, take everything that every preacher, pastor, communicator, teacher has ever taught you about Christianity, boil it all down to this one phrase. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Guess what? All things includes small things. We took a a group of students. I talked about students a little while ago. We took a group of students to Indianapolis one time. Not just randomly. I mean, we we didn't get in a bus and be like, where are we going to go? We're going to Indianapolis. Woo! There was actually a point to that trip. But we were taking them to Indianapolis. And we stopped one day for lunch at a mall. That was one of the best places we could go with a bunch of students because they had the food court. They could all choose their own food, get back on the bus later and be happy. So we went to the food court. I had already eaten and Corey and I were walking around and I walked into Sears, Sears department store, and they were having a huge sale. And I kind of like sales. When I walk into a store, the first place I go is the sales rack. Just what I do. Just, I don't know, it's man hunter gatherer mindset. I'm not paying full price when I can pay less than full price. And so I walked into Sears and Sears had done something special for guys like me that day because they had put everything on sale, had a red tag. I'm thinking, this is easy. I can do this. I'll find the red tags and those are the things I'm buying. If it doesn't have a red tag, I'm not buying it. And so I walked in and here's what I found. I I found a a set of headphones, red tag, $9.89. I'm thinking, wow, that's on sale. That's got to be a good price. And then I looked right beside that in very small print on the white tag beside it in black ink. It said originally $9.99. I was saving a whole dime. But there was something about me that felt like I was getting a good deal. Because I'm thinking they were pro- that was probably their margin. Their margin was the 10%, you know, 10 cents. And so I'm ripping them off now. Like I'm getting a good deal. Right? They probably paid four cents for the headphones. But I felt like because it had a red tag, I was getting a good deal. There was, another, there was a, a big blanket there at the end of the aisle. And it had a big, big red tag. They wanted you to buy this. And it said, sale, $29.99. Originally, $30. One penny. One penny off. One cent. One. Not a dollar. Not 10, 50%, I mean, whatever, one cent. The, the part of the currency that the government's thinking about getting rid of. Like, originally $30. But today, you can have it for twenty nine ninety nine. I was like, I think I'm going to get this blanket. It's on sale. <laughs> right? Because all of us, by nature, we want to feel like we're getting a good deal. My wife, Corey, is incredible in this way. She, she helps our family budget by making sure that the, thing, the, the amount of money she spends is, is the amount of money that you know, she needs to spend, she wants to spend. She, she very rarely ever spends money. I'm not even kidding on this. Like she, she, doesn't, she doesn't buy things for herself. She just, she's incredible in that way. And, and, but here's what she will do. It's, it's infuriating to me. We'll go into a store together, and she'll pick up like five things. And then the rest of the trip in the store is her talking herself out of buying any of those five things. 
Like we'll get those five things in the buggy, the cart or my arm, whatever store we're in. And we're walking around the store and then like randomly, we're not even talking about she go, you know, I don't even need that shirt. Why don't you need, well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I've got a shirt kind of similar to that. I don't need that shirt. And then when we get to the, like, then, then, you know, like even if there's two shirts left or two things left, we get to the cashier and this has happened more than one time. She'll look at the remaining two things and she'll, she'll tell the lady, you know what? I don't think I'm getting anything today. And she just waits and she has the most amazing patience ever because she'll just wait. And then like two months later, she'll come home with all five of those shirts because they're on sale now. She, I don't know if she hides them in the store. I can't figure out how that works. I've done that. Have you done this where you find something and you kind of like, you're like, oh, I'm putting that in home goods. That's not home goods, but nobody will ever find it over there. And then you just walk back in three days later and get it. Nobody's ever done that. Only me. Okay, that's fine. But like two months later, she'll come home and she'll have those five shirts. I'm like, I remember. No, I'm lying. I don't remember anything we ever looked at. But she'll say, remember when we looked at these? And I'll be like, yes, dear, I sure do. She'd be like, they were on sale now. Because we all want to feel like we're getting a good deal. She's incredible now. She has this patience to wait until it's going to cost her less money than it was originally going to cost her. And again, I, I do this. I walk in. And look for the sale rack. I want to find the big yellow sign, the big red sign, the big white sign, something hanging from the ceiling pointing me to cheaper items that I can spend my money on. We want to feel like we're getting a good deal. And I think we translate that sometimes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never said it out loud. But I think there are probably times when we think about all the things that God is asking of us. I think I've done air quotes three or four times today. But he's asking of us. He's wanting us to give up. And I think in our head, we tend to start doing the purchase transaction math. You ever done that? Where you think, yeah, okay, I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to be in a small group. I've got to serve. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. What am I getting out of all this? Like, what is it that I get in return from God by giving all of this that I'm giving? What is it that God's giving me in return? Like if I hand him, you know, my, my tithes, my offering, if I hand him my Saturday nights for my small group, I hand him my Sunday mornings to come and serve. I hand him this thing I'm going to do, this outreach event. I hand him my, my Sunday mornings to come to, to be in service. I hand him the time that I read my Bible or I listen to the Bible on, on audio on the way to work. I hand him the time that I pray, right? What is it that I'm getting in return? Because I think we tend to look at it transactionally and we wonder, am I getting a good deal? Are the things that I get in return from God worth my time, energy, effort, and money? Because we don't, if we're honest with ourselves today, we don't normally give the full 100%. I mean, all is 100%, right? I think my math's pretty good there. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. I tend to think that all there means 100%. Love the Lord your God with 100% of your heart, 100% of your mind, 100% of your soul. Everything that you are. And I think most of us, if we're honest, we give him like 50%. Or 75%. If we're given 50 or 75%, we probably have justified in our head that we're doing good. We're doing better than, you know, so-and-so over there. We're doing better than we were a year ago. We're, you know... God can't expect 100% of us. He says all, but he doesn't mean the small things. I'll keep those for myself. We give 50, 
75, maybe we get to a place where we feel like we're giving God 90% of who we are, 95% of who we are, 99% of our heart, 99% of our soul, 99% of who we are. And we think, man, I have done it. I'm a good person. I have kept the law. There's a difference, though, in 99 and 100%. There's a big difference in 99%. And 100%. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons or a couple of things here, a couple of examples. If 99% were good enough, we wouldn't have cell phone service for 15 minutes every day. Some of you would die. <laughs> if 99% were good enough, 1.7 million pieces of first class mail would be lost every day. I'm not convinced that they aren't already, but somewhere around 1.7 million pieces of mail would be lost every day. 35,000 newborn babies would be dropped by doctors every year if 99% were good enough. If 99% were the same as 100%, then 200,000 people would get the wrong prescription drugs every year. If 99% were good enough, if it were the same as 100%, you and I would have unsafe drinking water three days a year. 99% is not the same as 100%. And God wants 100% of who we are. He actually requires 100% of who you are. And I don't believe that's because he's selfish. I don't believe that's because he's unreasonable. I believe that's because God likes wholeness. God likes completeness. There's a story in the Gospels. And this story talks about... There being 99 sheep left with the shepherd. And one is, is out there stray. It's gone, right? And this passage of scripture says to us, this makes no sense to us. Because for most of us, 99 out of 100 is not a bad equation. But to the God of this story, to the son of God who tells this story, and to the principle of this idea about the nature and character of God, he says... That the shepherd would leave the 99 to go and find the one. So that eventually there is wholeness there. God cares about the small things. All things includes small things. There are stories like that throughout scripture. God tells us that there was a lost coin. Same passage. And the woman who had lost the coin searches the entire house. She had other coins. She searches the entire house to find the one coin that was lost. To restore completeness, wholeness. It's what we talked about last week. This God of reconciliation. Bringing wholeness to everything that he has. I believe that God believes in this principle. So whether it's lost sheep or sinners or my own life. God does not want 99%. Of anything. I think he wants 100%. And man, I don't know about you, but when I think about that, when I hear about that, I I feel the weight of that. Because in my life, if I'm being honest, I'm okay not always giving 100% of my effort. My brother, I have a younger brother, Louisville, Kentucky, awesome guy. He was the whatever kid in our family. Like, it didn't matter what you said to him. He was like, ah, whatever. That's kind of, that was kind of his principle in life and in school. Like, why well, try for an A? C's passing. I don't care. Be like, hey, man, you're going to really study hard and get an A? Nah. 
I'll get a C. Like, that's passing. That's good. You know? He's the one. And, and I think for some of us, we, we take this into other areas of our life and we think, what is good enough to get by? At least I'm trying. At least I'm not failing. At least I'm making it. So what is good enough? If you look at Acts chapter 5, I know we're jumping all over scripture today. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. There's this incredible story about this couple. Their name is Ananias and Sapphira. And I'm going to give you my, my summary of this story. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, if you want to read this when you get home. Here's the story, okay? Jeremy translation, English language, as simple as I can make it. They have a piece of land that they're going to sell. They sell the land for $10,000. And then they've decided, or it's been expected of them in that community or whatever, that they're going to bring all the money to the church and give all of it to the church. And so they walk in, the husband does, he walks in and he says to uh, Paul, who's there, he says, hey, listen, I'm giving, or Peter, he says, I'm giving all of this money to the church. I, this was what I paid, this is what I sold my land for. $10,000, here you go. Except that he actually sold it for 11000 so he comes, he gives 10,000 to the church and says, this is everything I made on this deal. And immediately, immediately he says, no, he says, he asked Ananias, he says, are, why are you lying? Wasn't it your piece of property? Couldn't you have sold it for anything you wanted? Couldn't you have done anything with the proceeds that you wanted? And yet you come in here and you lie. Why? It wasn't about a thousand dollars. It was about dishonesty. All things includes small things. And so in that moment, he drops dead. So don't ever lie about... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wife walks in a little while later. And she keeps up the story that they had worked out. And they ask her, hey, is this... Did you sell the land for $10,000? And she says, yes, yes, we did. Why are you lying? You can hear the footsteps now of the men who carried your dead husband out because he lied too. And they're coming for you. And she died. Why? Not because God is mean and vindictive. But because God cares about wholeness, completeness. He cares about the small things. It was not about the money. It was about the heart. It was about the idea that there was something that Ananias and Sapphira felt like they needed to hold for themselves. And not give to God. And maybe you've never sold land and kept part of the proceeds for yourself. But if you're honest today, I bet there's parts of your life that you have never given over to God. You've held them for yourself. You've said, well, God doesn't really want that part of me. That's a small thing. But all things include small things. When God said through Jesus Christ to a man who wanted to know what was most important. He said all of your heart. All of your soul. All of your mind. All of your strength. And I believe he included in that the small things. Back in Mark chapter 12 where we started. Where this guy was asking the question. There is. Uh, another story where Jesus and his disciples are watching people in the temple. They're watching as these people give of their offerings, their tithes, and, and, and he's watching so that he can teach a story to us, that he can teach a principle to his disciples. And all these people come and they give a lot of money. They give in the offering and it's this grand show what they're giving. 
And I want you to read this with me in Mark chapter 12. Jesus saw this widow who gave two pennies, two mites in the offering. And this is what he says to the disciples. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. What's that word there? All she had to live on. He was not interested in what she gave, but in how she gave. He wasn't interested in what she gave. I have contended for a long time that God does not need our money. He needs our heart. And the quickest way to see my heart usually is where my money's at. What's on my calendar and what's in my checkbook, that'll tell you a lot about where my heart's at. And Jesus said to those disciples that day as they watched this transaction take place. There were people that gave a lot more, but they gave out of wealth. It wasn't costing them anything to do that. But this widow here, she gave out of everything that she had. She gave all. And all includes small. Two pennies. That was her all, and that's what she gave. God's in the business of giving you a good deal. I'm not here to convince you of that today. I believe that God's word does that. But God's in the business of giving you a good deal. In the Old Testament, God asked Abraham to sacrifice the one and only son that he had, who was the fulfillment of the prophecy that he had said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And that's going to come from Isaac, your son. Isaac is born. And then God says something that makes no sense. He says to Abraham, I want you to kill your son, Isaac. Many of you have heard this story a hundred times. Every time I read this story, I try to put myself in Abraham's point of view here. I try to put it in his shoes. And I go, how would I respond if what I knew about the promise of God did not match up with what I thought I was hearing from God? And I think it would have been very easy for me in that moment to go, surely God didn't say that. I ate something weird last night. I don't, there's something going, I'm not hearing what God actually said. But Abraham doesn't seem to question that. He just goes and he prepares to sacrifice his son on the mountain. God intervenes, saves Isaac's life. But what he sees in this moment that he has all of Abraham's heart. There is nothing, this is what the scripture actually says, there is nothing more important to you than me, Abraham. All included small. And I would contend that Isaac wasn't small. He was a big part of Abraham's life, his family, the future. But here's the thing that we learn about the nature of God. This is totally me here, okay? So if you don't agree with this, that's okay. God said to Abraham that he was going to bless his seed because of the faithfulness that he saw in Abraham that day. So the seed of Abraham are the Jewish people through Isaac, right? They're the Jewish people. And the Jewish people make up 2% of the world's population, only 2%. But I want you to look at some numbers here. This is, I believe, just the blessings of God because of the faithfulness of Abraham to show God that there was nothing more important to him than God. 
Only 2% of the world's population are Jewish. And yet 45% of Forbes magazine's richest companies are owned by Jews. One-third of the multimillionaires in the United States are Jewish. 20% of the professors in leading universities are Jewish. 40% of the lawyers in the top law firms in the United States are Jewish lawyers. 25% of the American Nobel Peace Prize winners are Jewish. I believe that God's in the business of making good deals. I believe that God honors faithfulness. I believe that when God sees someone who has given all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their strength to Him... That he responds in kind. Gives them his best. All includes small. But there's this amazing principle in scripture. The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so here's the truth and the reality for you and I today. If God ever did it for Abraham, he'll do it for you. He'll respond to your faithfulness. He'll honor your faithfulness to love him and live for him and trust Him with all of who you are. I believe that. Last story from the Bible today. One of my favorites. There's a guy and the Bible calls him the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus one day and he says, how can I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep all the commandments. (laughs) And the guy, whether he was being honest or not, I assume he was, says... I did that. That's a pretty amazing feat in itself, okay? I kind of get tripped up right there when the guy just knew that he had kept all the commandments. I've done that. And Jesus says to him, then give everything else away and follow me. Go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. Now, the Bible calls this guy the rich young ruler. So we are led to believe that he's rich. He has a lot of worldly possessions. And this story, nor anyone that I've told to you today, is about money. It's about heart. And the man, the scripture says, the rich young ruler, he walked away sad because he had much wealth. But really, the scripture could have said he walked away sad because he knew... He wouldn't give it away. Why? Because he wasn't ready to give all of himself to the Father. Again, I'll repeat myself here because I've said this a lot. But I believe this and this is kind of a filter by which I process my own heart and I evaluate me. I contend, this is not in the Bible. I, Jeremy, contend that if the rich young ruler had sold everything that he had sold it, given it all away, and come back to Jesus, Jesus would have stood there and handed him an envelope with all of his money back in it. Because I don't think it was about the money. I think it was a question, I think it was a command from Jesus to reveal in the rich young ruler that his heart was more concerned about the money than about following Jesus. That's my belief. Because I know how I process. I know that there are things in my life that I tend to reprioritize above my relationship with God if I'm not careful. That where I'm supposed to give all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength, everything 100% to God, there are times more than I'd like to admit that I don't give 100%. I think Jesus was asking the rich young ruler for the last 1%. 
You've kept all the commands. Awesome. That's great. You're way ahead of most people. That's great. So you're at that 99% mark. And I bet you think you're doing great. And you are. Give me the last 1%. Show me there's nothing else between me and you. Show me there's nothing more important than me in your life. I think if we read the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, we see that he was a man that loved God. Hebrews chapter 11, which we referenced several weeks ago, tells about the faith of Abraham to do anything that God asked him to do. And I think the last part of that story was God saying to Abraham in relation to Isaac. There's one more percent. Let's make sure that Isaac is not more important than me. I don't know what the conversation was like between God and the heart of the widow that we just read in Mark chapter 12. But if she legitimately gave all that she had, and that was two mites, two pennies, then there was something that compelled that woman, I would believe, the heart of God to give all that she had. She didn't give out of abundance. She didn't give out of wealth. She gave the last that she had of her financial resources to support herself. And there was something that compelled her. And I believe if we read the stories of Scripture that it probably went something like this. She felt like God was saying, just give me those two pennies. I don't know how I would have responded there. That's a lie. I think I know how I would have responded there. But I think that this woman was trying to determine if there was 1% left in her heart that did not belong to the Father. So only you know your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Only you know what all of that looks like. Only you know what all of your heart given to God looks like. Only you know what all of your mind and all of your strength given to God looks like. For Abraham, it was Isaac. For the rich young ruler, it was all of his money. For the widow, it was two pennies. I don't know what your 1% is. I'll ask Daniel to come. I, I don't know what... Your 10% is. I don't know what your 25% is. I don't know what it is that you're still holding in your heart, in your life, that you haven't given to God yet. I don't know. I mean, I could run through a list of things. I could say, yeah, it's, it might be this, it might be this, it might be this, it might be your, your job and your family and your money. and it, it, might, it might be all these things, this relationship. and this. But I'd be guessing. Right now, you probably know. There's no need for me to guess because I believe that the way that the power of the Holy Spirit works in moments like this is that you're already thinking about your 1%. You're thinking about that part of your life that you've never given to God. Or that you gave to Him, but soon thereafter, you took it back. You said, yeah, God, I trust you with everything, but I forgot, I'm going to take this back. Yeah, God, I, I trust you with everything I've got except this piece I'm holding for myself. I trust you with all of my heart and most of my mind. I trust you with all of my mind but most of my strength. 
I trust you with some of my heart. I'm in a season now where I'm giving my heart to some other things, but I'll come back. I'm giving you the rest of everything else over here. I'm going to be faithful in this area, but not over here because that's not really connected to my relationship with you. This doesn't happen on Sundays or Wednesdays. This is a Thursday deal that doesn't relate to you. So I'm going to keep the Thursday thing for myself. That's my 1%. That's just, that's kind of my, you know, I just get away over here and do my thing. I don't know what your 1% is. I don't know what your 10% is. I don't know how much of your heart and your life you've never given to God. And today's not necessarily about salvation. Today's not necessarily about praying a sinner's prayer that says, I need you, God, to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord and Savior of my life because I know that I'm not living in right relationship with you. But there may be some of you who are here today and you say, yeah, that's me, actually. I mean, if we're if we're dealing in like these metaphorical percentages, like I don't think I've really given God anything other than showing up on Sundays sometimes. And so I, I really need to give God the leadership of my life. I need to accept the free gift of salvation. To help forgive through the the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of God. I I need to give him those things and and accept from him in this transaction the, the forgiveness that I've sought. The love that I've sought from other places. But for some of us this morning, for many of us this morning, this is not about a salvation deal. Some people might call this sanctification. Just a big word. Some people might call this just kind of a rededication I would just call it a heart to heart my wife and I I think I could be fooled I think we have a great relationship we do we have an awesome marriage and there are moments in that marriage when we just gotta we gotta talk about some things we've just gotten off track you know I'm not I'm not I'm not honoring her or she's not helping me or I it's relationship Now, when we get to the end of that conversation, we're not going to go stand back at the altar and get married again. We're already in relationship. We're just going to address some things that need to happen so that the covenant that we've made with one another, the relationship that we've committed ourselves into with one another is the kind of relationship that is honoring towards one another and edifying, building up, towards ourselves I think the relationship with God is the same way I don't don't think you have to get saved all the time I don't think that if you're working out things in a relationship with God that it requires a salvation prayer now if you've turned your back on God and walked away from him I think you got to come back in that but I I think there are moments like today where you just have the opportunity just in personal reflection just to kind of look inside yourself and go God I know some things I've been holding for myself I'm being selfish. I got this part of my life. I got this 1%. I got this 10%. I've got my own Isaac thing over here that's kind of sacred to me. And I'm not, I'm not sacrificing it. I'm not giving it up. I got two pennies or I got some financial things that represent two pennies. And I'm not ready to give those yet. I've got this part of my life, my family, my job. I'm not giving that yet. And, and today I realized that If the most important thing about relationship with you is all, in reflection here, God, in evaluation of my heart, I realize I'm kind of shortchanging you. 
I've been looking at this relationship thinking, what am I getting from you? But really, I haven't been honest because I'm not giving you what you asked for. And so here's what I want to ask you to do just for the next moment or so. I just want you to bow your head. I just want you to close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you come to the altar. I'm not even going to make you lift a hand today necessarily. But what I am asking you to do in this moment is just search your heart. Just think about your own life. If you have a relationship with God in some way, I'm asking you to kind of think through that relationship. What part of you are you still holding on to? What part of you have you just not really released to the Father? What's your Isaac? What's your two pennies? What's all your possessions to come and follow him? It's hard, I know. Not everything that you're thinking of right now is probably sin. And it may just be a simple acknowledgement this morning that says, God, I don't know that I've always expressed this, but everything I have is yours. Everything that I am is yours. I don't hold anything for myself. And I just want to make sure you know that. And I'm committing today to live that out. Or maybe there's something very specific that you know you're holding on to. And right now you're wrestling with that. You're wrestling and you're, you're saying, I just don't know that I can. God is calling for all things. And all things include small things. He cares about the small things. God, I pray now for myself, for these incredible people right in front of me. These people that I care about, some of who I don't even know, but I care about them. I pray for them. You've sent them to this place. And today I want to express what I believe you've sent me to say. That the all that you're calling for really does mean all. And that for some of us that have been wrestling with this and banging our heads against the wall, trying to figure out how to really live in this fulfilling relationship with you, if we're honest with ourselves, we know we have not given you all of us. And I know that this is not a momentary decision for many of us where we just change it right in the second and We'll never go back. I realize this, is, this really is kind of a wrestling match. There's a tension in our hearts and our lives. And I realize this is going to be difficult for some of us. But right now, I pray for strength. I pray for that personal strength and boldness that can come from you. To just call it out. Say, this is the part of me that I've never given up. And today, I commit to do it. I give it to God. It's a habit. It's an addiction. It's a relationship. It's finances. It's job. It's family. It's something. I give it now to you. It's pride, it's jealousy, it's anger, it's hurt. I give it to you, God. 
So right now, we lay our hearts before you. We acknowledge that we need you. And God, we we are willing to admit that there is nothing so small that it's excluded from this. We know that all things includes the small things. Let us give everything that we are to you today. In Jesus' name we pray.